Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. Stay set to your feet, if you will, this morning. Just where we are right now, just lift your hands to heaven and give your heart to Jesus. In other words, just turn your attention towards Him now. Before anyone preaches this morning, just give Him your attention this morning, if you will. You know, I've come to find this in the short time that the Lord's used me in ministry. Sermons don't change people. Jesus does. I'm going to say that again. Sermons cannot change you this morning. The one of whom you preach is the one who changes you. So this morning, here's what I'm telling you. We need Him more than we need a sermon. Are you awake this morning? lift your hands to heaven right now begin to yield your heart to him just begin to lift your tongues to him this morning if you will begin to give him your worship out of your heart just for the next 30 seconds just lift your voice to him in other words just tell him what he means to you this morning Tell him what he means to you. You see, we've been really good at learning how to sing songs off a screen, but when it comes down to your personal worship, we often struggle. But the Bible says there's something called the song of the redeemed. And it comes out of the heart of one who has been washed in the blood. And that song goes up to him and it sounds a little something like this. Jesus, I will worship you this morning. Lord, I've not come for anything from you. I've just come to worship you. Lord, if you do nothing else for me, you are still worth my worship this morning. Go ahead, go ahead, let it go this morning. Just for 30 seconds, let it go. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Lord, you're faithful to us this morning. Jesus, you're still good to us. We give you praise. We give you glory. Lord, we honor you in this place. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. We love you, Lord, in this place. Let it go. Go ahead. There it is right now. Let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Just press in here for a couple of seconds. Let it go. Shovante brevendura vesata braca. Roseve vebrana masabrande. Ripa brasoko rava. Lira satela la mamando. Iela la masakaraba. Rosoto revente. Lina mandeara sabraca. Rosokorate. Lift it up this morning. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, we honor you, we honor you, we honor you, Jesus.
this this morning, if you will. And I lift my voice. And I lift my voice. To worship. To worship you. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Rejoice. Rejoice. Take joy. Take joy, my King. In what you hear. In what you hear. Let it be. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. One more time, I love you, Lord. Tell him from your own heart this morning. I love you, Tell him. Lord. Make it real. Make it real. And I live my voice. Oh, to worship you. To worship you. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Rejoice. Rejoice. Take joy, my King. In what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound. Let it be. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. In your ear. Wonderful, Jesus, we honor you this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory, Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. like you Jesus you're the air we breathe this morning Jesus be everything to us I ask wonderful Holy Spirit would you show us Jesus this morning show us the one that you love Holy Spirit he's here this morning he's here he's here just adore him in your heart he's here Flow, Holy Spirit. Flow, Holy Spirit. We give you our attention, Jesus. We give you our attention, Lord. 
if you're not here, we've got nothing. But I thank you, you are. So we honor you this morning. In your mighty name. your heart towards him and he'll touch you seated this morning. Can you please let the worship team know you appreciate them? Guys, thank you so much. You know, I'm often asked when I go minister somewhere, why don't you just get up there and start preaching? Why do you have to try and continue worship? Like, what are you trying to do? And here's my answer to them. How many times have we missed the moving of the Lord because we made our sermon more important than the one we were preaching about? In other words, you give the Lord just a little bit of time to work and he'll start to do things like this. You know, some of the greatest miracles I've seen is when I simply stood to the pulpit and let the Lord do what he wanted to do. Why? Because he doesn't need my help to heal the sick. Do you know the Lord doesn't need my permission to start to touch people? But when you simply give him room, he begins to touch people's lives. In fact, I can show you from Scripture that's true. What made a stinky, small, disgusting manger a place where the Son of God could be born? It simply had room. In other words, there were many other places far more equipped that could have hosted a king, but their problem was this, they had no room. And is this not the problem with many churches today? That we have filled the time with everything we wanted to do, and we missed the room for him to move. You can say yes if you believe that this morning. So this morning you say, preacher, what's your agenda? I want Jesus to come and fill every life this morning. 
You say, well, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit before. Are you telling me you don't want it again? When you truly meet Jesus, you'll do whatever you have to do just to get him to touch you again. I get real concerned about these people, Pastor, who say, well, I was touched by the Lord last week. If you truly were, every fiber of your being will cry out, Lord, do it again. Lord, touch me again. Lord, I know you touched me last night, but touch me again. Lord, I know I experienced you in worship this morning, but I want to experience you again. You know, in the natural, you get hungry by not eating. In the spiritual, you get hungry by eating. In other words, when you taste and see that he's good, it doesn't satisfy you and you say, I don't want any more. It satisfies you, but then this thing starts to happen where you say, I want it again. I want it again. However you come, I want it again. I don't care if you stick me to the ceiling, Lord. I want you again. Whatever you have to do, I just want you again this morning. Amen. How many were here last night? How many are grateful for all the Lord did last night? You know, so many people ran to these altars to give their life to Jesus. I believe people were healed last night. My sister shared that it was the first time in a long time you'd not taken pain pills before you went to bed. Is that right? You know, multiple other testimonies were given of the Lord healing them. But this morning, I would go as far as to say that out of all the sermons I preached, this, what I'm about to preach to you this morning, is by far the most important thing that I will ever preach in my life. You see, this morning, I'm not going to preach a sermon to you. I'm going to preach a person. Because there is a vast difference between preaching a sermon and preaching a person. You know, you got up here this morning, you said it's all about Jesus. I want to preach about Jesus to you this morning. Is that okay? Because here's what I found. There are many who know about him, but few who know him. I know a whole lot of people who know the Bible back to front, but they don't know Jesus. And if you want to be used by God, if you want to preach the word of God, you've got to know the one of whom you've read about. Is that okay this morning? Turn in your Bible, if you will, to the book of Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Just to encourage me, shout amen when you're there. Okay, I'll preach to you five. Okay, now we got six. Psalm 137, it says these words. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, 
Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Do me a favor, lay your hand on your heart. Repeat after me, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart this morning. Make my heart fertile soil in which your word will bear much fruit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to preach a sermon to you this morning that if I had to entitle it, I would call it this. I want to go home. I want to go home. You know, the scripture I've just read to you actually records a story of the people of Israel in the narrative of a song. And here is a breakdown of the meaning of this story. In other words, it talks about the children of Israel who were taken from what was known as the promised land and they were taken by a king called Nebuchadnezzar who came to Jerusalem. He burned their city to the ground and took them captive to Babylon. Now you've got to picture this in context. This is a people who for year after year have tried to apprehend this land promised to them. So when this was taken from them, the repercussions reverberated throughout their camp. You've got to understand that their forefathers bled and died to apprehend this land. This was not just like losing my business. Everything they had worked for for years was suddenly taken from them. But not only that, the land which they were taken to was completely opposite to everything they knew. Let me tell you something about Babylon this morning if you're not familiar with it. Babylon had a long tradition of paganism. They insisted that everybody convert to their religion. Also, Babylon was full of idol worship and full of homosexuality. It was also famous for its harsh society and cruelty. And theologians will suggest to you, in many ways, it resembled Sodom and Gomorrah. So picture this. You are taken from a land that is perfect in its spiritual climate. You're provided for. You've got your business set up. You've got everything you need. And in the space of 24 hours, you're taken to a foreign land where you can't worship God. It's rampant with idolatry, full of homosexuality. It's cruel and harsh. And it's not where you were. This is where they're taken to. But let me tell you something also about Babylon. Babylon was a thriving society and industry. At certain points, it was the largest city in the world. It also had the river Tigris and the river Euphrates, some of the largest rivers in the world running through the midst of it. Now you say, preacher, I don't get why you just told me that. Okay, let me explain. I know Israel is not a perfect climate, but why don't you look at the positives? Why can't you be optimistic about where you are? 
I know it's not Jerusalem, but there's a better economy. There's a better industry. You've got more land to build on. There's bigger rivers to fish in. You've got more space for your livestock. In fact, there's a lot of things in Babylon that in the natural are far better than Jerusalem. But here's what perplexes me. You find in the scripture, the children of Israel are sat at the side of a river and they are weeping. And here's my question. What could be so bad that as grown adults, you have been reduced to tears, crying, saying, take me back home to Jerusalem? What was it? Was it the fact that you missed your house and it got burned in the fire? Was it the fact that your business that you had built over the years has been burned down and now you've lost it all? Was it the fact that your livestock died in the fire and that's all you had? I don't think it was any of those things. When you study the scriptures, there is one thing in Jerusalem that Babylon did not have. It was the temple that housed the presence of God. In other words, here's what they're saying. Take my business. Take my livestock. Take my house. But oh, if there's anything that I'm willing to weep over, it's the fact that the presence of God is no longer in the midst of us. Take it all, but take me back to the place where the presence of God dwells. You see, it was embedded in their DNA. Do you realize that you can imagine as children, their parents would walk them past the temple and they would say, what's that temple for? Oh, well, son, in that temple is the God who brought your great, great, great grandfather Moses through the Red Sea. In that temple is the God who brought manna out of the sky to feed our families. In that temple was the God who brought down the walls of Jericho. They would have heard these stories of Moses praying prayers like this. Oh God, do not send us up from here unless your presence goes with us. Do you realize even how they built their camp was around the presence of God? What did God say to them in the wilderness? Build me a habitation in which I may dwell. In other words, if you're going to build your life around anything, ensure you build it around the presence of God. But you see, my friend, if I was to talk to some of you this morning about the presence of God in your life, I may have to start the conversation like this. Do you remember when? Do you remember the day you were filled with the Holy Spirit and He was more real to you than the clothes on your back? Do you remember the times when you would sit in your prayer closet with your Bible on your knee and you couldn't even read the words anymore because your tears had fallen there because the one you were reading about was real? Do you remember the times you wouldn't complain about the worship and you realized it wasn't for you, it was for God? Do you remember the times when you would sing, I exalt thee? And rather than complaining that song's hundreds of years old, you would begin to weep because you knew the one you were singing to. 
Do you remember the times when you would put on an event and you weren't relying on the worship or the preacher? You were simply relying on the presence of God because if we don't have Him, we've got nothing. But do you know what I've seen in my generation? Listen, I'm not talking about your church. I'm talking about what I have seen in general. Please hear my heart. I have seen really good productions. And I've seen stages bigger than this. I've seen lights greater than these lights. I've seen smoke machines. I've seen the greatest worship teams in the world. But it became void of one thing. The presence of God. You see, how many heard this story before? That when Moses came down the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because the glory was so bright. You know, that's not true. He did not put a veil over his face because the glory was so bright. In fact, Paul gives you the answer why he wore a veil. Do you know what Paul said? And Moses who put a veil over his face to hide the ever-fading glory. In other words, he put a veil over his face so the people could not see that in fact the glory was actually fading away. And how many times have we put a metaphorical veil up in our church to hide the fact that the only thing missing is the glory of God and the veil we put up is good worship and it sounds good and it looks good and the lights look good but my friend it's all just a glory cover to hide the fact that the presence of God was not even in our meeting oh it looked good but no one got changed no one got healed no one got saved they walked out just as sick as they walked in because we put a veil over the fact the glory of God wasn't even there You know what my generation needs? We don't need more motivational preachers. We need people who know how to get on their knees and say, God, if we don't get you, we've got nothing. You see, but here's what I believe. The reason that many Christians don't live in a place of his presence is they don't understand the access they have. You know, I heard this one said to me. Well, if I could have what Moses had, with the cloud by day and the fire by night and Mount Sinai and the shaking and the thunder and the lightning, maybe then I could live in a place of his presence. But here's what I would tell you this morning. If Moses could trade with you what you've got right now, he would swap it in a second. Well, there's three people who agree. Listen, I want this to be a dialogue. I'm going to preach to you And if you feel slightly like you agree with me, you can say amen this morning. Is that okay? All right. Man. If Moses could trade with you what you have right now, he would swap it like that. Let me tell you why. Moses did not have the continual presence of God. Moses did not have what the Bible calls the abiding presence. It's why the Bible says scriptures like this. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Not within. It's why the Bible says that as David began to play, the spirit of the Lord came 
upon him, not. But it is not the good news that Paul said, now are you not aware that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Do you realize that when the veil was torn, it was God's public declaration, I will not be confined behind a veil anymore, but I will make you my temple and in you I will dwell. You see, people say, does that make the Old Testament null and void? No, because his promise was this, build me a habitation in which I may dwell. It just turns out that he made you the habitation. So that means this, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, here's what that means. Whatever Jesus did, you can do. Now, I guess some of you are thinking, like, is that blasphemy? Like, can we say that in church? Everything Jesus did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Everything. He did not start any miracles until he was baptized in the Jordan. And the Bible says that as he came out, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And the Gospel of John adds these words, and remained. Then Immediately it says this, and he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, but he was brought out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he began the miracles. But do you realize that Jesus on this earth was limited? Again, I get some of you are thinking, oh son, you're crossing a fine line there. Hold on. Did Jesus get hungry, yes or no? Did Jesus get tired, yes or no? Did Jesus get thirsty, yes or no? Could Jesus only be in one place at one time, yes or no? Yes. Holy Spirit is like Jesus without limit. In other words, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like Jesus in you and in you and in you and in you. And he can go where you can't go. And he can say what you can't say. And he can do what you can't do. The same Spirit that raised Jesus out of that grave now lives inside of me. That means there's never a room you can walk in where there's a problem you don't have the answer to. It means that when you walk in there, greater is he that's inside of you than that cancer that's in that room. It's why I'm not afraid to walk in a room and a devil starts manifesting. You better believe, devil, greater is he that's living inside of me. You can shout, you can holler, but eventually you've got to come out. You know, it's time that the church stops fearing words like cancer. Do you realize that even cancer's got to bow to the name of Jesus? It's time that we stopped avoiding the wheelchairs and we saw them as targets to attack, understanding that the Holy Spirit within me is greater than your spinal cord that's severed. And do you realize this was not just for the preachers to do? There is nothing different between me and you right now apart from I've got a microphone. The same spirit that was in Jesus, the same spirit that was in your favorite preacher is the same spirit inside of you. But that being said, 
I do not believe that the greatest role of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to have miracles. I believe the greatest role of the Holy Spirit is to show you the person of Jesus. Now let me tell you why. If the greatest role of the Holy Spirit was just to enable you to have miracles, there would be millions of Christians all over the world healing the sick, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, casting out devils, yet never knowing the author of the miracles. Well, you may say, preacher, I believe the greatest role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal theology to us. If that was the case, you'd have millions of Christians all over the world who knew the Bible back to front, yet never knew the one of whom the word spoke of. Is this not the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees in John 5? When he said, you search the scriptures to find life, but you won't come to me that I can give you life. In other words, you have misunderstood the fact that it was not about your ability to retain scriptures. They were trying to point you towards a person and he stood right in front of you. But you missed him because you elevated the words on the page above the ones of whom the words spoke of. They missed the fact that John 1 said from the very beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Is this not why Jesus was grieved as he looked over Jerusalem and said, oh, how I long to gather you to myself, but you missed the hour of your visitation. It's why the Bible said that the word was made flesh and dwelt among them. But this was why Jesus was grieved because I was with you and you did not even know. You see, what they misunderstood was this. Jesus, when he was born, he didn't just become to bring a message. He was the message. It's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that God who at various times in various ways, in times past, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. In other words, when God came to speak to you, he didn't send a prophet, he came himself. But oh my friend, the realization... That when you realize he is the message, he was the word, he was the one who was made flesh among you, you no longer glorify the words in your Bible above the one of whom they're trying to point you towards. Do you realize that the Bible is not 66 books about different people? It's one book about one person and his name is Jesus. You say, well, hold on, preacher. He didn't arrive until the book of Matthew. Was Jesus not our ark of refuge in the book of Genesis? Was Jesus not our Passover lamb in Exodus? Was he not our high priest in Leviticus? Was he not our Mordecai in Esther? Was he not the pierced and bruised one in Isaiah? Was he not the faithful bridegroom in Hosea? Was he not the child in the manger in Matthew? Was he not the lamb of God on the cross in John? Was he not the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire in Acts? Was he not the prize Paul was trying to apprehend in Timothy? Was he not the one who can keep you from stumbling in Jude? Was he not the one whose eyes burn like fire in Revelation? Was he not the one whom John saw? And he said he was dressed from head to foot in white garments. Around his chest was a gold band. His feet were like polished brass. 
His eyes burned like fire. His face was like the countenance of the sun. His voice was like the sound of many waters. You can find Jesus in every book of the Bible if you simply look for him. But all the problem of the church has it not become this. That we know a whole lot about him. But there's very few who actually know him. Do you realize because you come to church does not mean you know Jesus? Because you read your Bible does not mean you know Jesus. Let me go a step further. Hold on. I'll explain myself. Because you gave your life to Jesus does not mean you know Jesus. Can I prove it to you? If you were drowning in the ocean and someone threw a life ring to you and rescued you, they became your savior, but you don't know them. In the same way, many of you gave your life to Jesus, but it stopped there. Because you spend time with men and women of God does not mean you know Jesus. In fact, the Bible proves this to us. In Exodus 32, the Bible says that Moses went up Mount Sinai. And the children of Israel said this, What has become of this man Moses? The very next verse, they begin to form a golden calf. And here's what I'm thinking. How do you get from that place to now building a false god? And I realized something. The revelation of God only lasted as long as Moses was with them. So in other words, in their mind, when Moses left, so did the God of Moses. So if Moses is gone and his God is gone, we'll just build our own God. Do you realize that you can build a golden calf out of the things you do for God, but it is not God? You see, my friend, you cannot rely on your pastor to reveal Jesus to you. Exodus 16. It says a manna daily came out of heaven. But if it was not consumed on that day, it would go rotten and stale. Oh, okay, preacher, what's that going to do with Jesus? Everything. Is he not now the living bread that comes out of heaven? But your experience of God yesterday will not sustain you for today. There has to be a daily partaking of him. Some of you walking in and say, well, preacher, I got touched by God five years ago. That was five years ago. What have you been doing for five years? Are you meaning to tell me you are living on five-year-old manner when every single day he's available waiting for you if you would just give him your attention? you realize that getting your fix on a Sunday morning will not last you through the week? Well, listen, I was prayed for on Sunday and I fell out under the power of God. My friend, it's Tuesday. And you mean you've not been with him? You mean to tell me you've not spoke to him since Sunday? You know, when I've preached this, I've been accused of being a works-based preacher. But hey, husbands, let's be real. How would your wife feel if you told you you loved her just once a week on a Sunday and ignored her Monday to Saturday? Good luck with that. 
So why does it become okay to give Jesus the same thing? And you claim he's your first love. And you lift your hands on Sunday and you say, I will give you all my worship. No, you're giving him on Sunday. And it went no further than that because you knew a whole lot about him and you knew how to worship and you knew how to lift your hands, but you did not know the one you were doing it for. If you did, you'd have been on your face every day saying, Jesus, I give you me again. Lord, I just want you, not what you can give me. I just want you. Do you know nobody has to tell me to go home and love my wife? There's something in me that just wants to do it. And in the same way, when you truly know Jesus, there is something in you that rather than give him the last 15 minutes of your day before you go to bed, you will beg, just give me more 15 more minutes with him. I know you're knocking on my prayer closet, but just give me 15 more minutes with him. Because when you've been with him, there is nothing else that you'll want. Well, preacher, there's got to be more than Jesus. How can there be more than everything? If you believe the word of God, when it says that all things consist in him, when you get him, you have everything and there is nothing more you can need because you've already got everything. See, the Bible says this in the book of Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What is that door? It's the door of your heart. The Lord doesn't speak to me. He says the same thing to you every single day. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Lord, I know it's 7 a.m. Come to me. Come to me. My favorite TV program done tonight. Come to me. Come to me. Every single day, this is what you'll hear. But understand this. He will not open the door himself. The Bible says, if you open the door, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with you. And the Bible says this, we will share a meal together as friends. Do you know what it didn't say? Jesus did not say, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with you and we will do a gospel crusade together. He did not say that. He didn't even say, if you open the door to me, I'll come in and we'll do a prayer meeting together. He didn't say that. Here was the picture of what he showed. I just want to be with you. Do you understand that Jesus did not die for your worship? We worship him out of the revelation that he did die for us. But he did not die for that part. He died for you. Jesus did not die for your tithe. God is not short on money. He paves the streets with gold. He does not after your money is the heart behind it. But even above that, when he was hanging on the cross, he wasn't thinking of your tithe. He was just thinking about you. That's why the Bible says that even when we are enemies of God, he still died for us. That while we were still sinners, before you'd said your first prayer, before you'd given your first check, before you'd sang your first Bethel song, 
He already decided I was going to die for you because it was never about what you could give him. It was just about you. Just you. But oh, how many people have made it about what they can do for him rather than just him. I heard this once. Do you realize you can cheat on God with the things he gave you? If you spend more time ministering than you do with him, my friend, you're about to fall really, really quick. This right now, what I'm doing, does give no implication I've been with Jesus. This does not impress God. In fact, there are a lot of people who can probably speak better than I can. But here's what makes us different as preachers of the word of God. We have been with the one that we're talking about. Does this not show the perfect picture with Martha and Mary? Picture the scene. One of them is working for the Lord. In our eyes, one of them is doing things for him and one of them is being lazy, doing nothing. In our eyes. Martha's busy working, serving the Lord. Can I get you something else? Can I get you a drink? Any more food I can bring you? I'll wash your feet. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm ready to do it. Mary, you're being lazy. Get up and help me. I'm doing things for the Lord. But the Bible says this, that Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus. And here's what's staggering about this story. Martha said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work? In other words, here's what it implies. Mary at one point was doing the same thing. But she found there was something greater than working for him and it became worshipping him. In our eyes, one of them was doing nothing and one of them was doing a lot for the Lord. But Jesus said this, she has found that good thing which will not be taken away from her. One translation says this, she has found the one thing that is needed. In other words, my friend, you can build a golden calf out of the works you do for God and call it God, but it is not God. Here's what Jesus was looking for in that moment. He just looked for somebody who knew how to do this. And my friend, you can preach every day of the week. But unless you learn how to do this, then my friend, you will not know him. Well, preacher, can you prove that? Yes. Matthew 7, on that day many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not prophesy and cast out devils and do many mighty works? And he said, I never even knew you. But hold on, Lord. Did you see the size of the altar call? I did feel, I never even knew you. Lord, I gave someone their bank account details with a prophetic... I never even knew you. Lord, are you forgetting about the day, that Tuesday afternoon that I raised 40 people from the dead in one hour? I never knew you. Because you weren't the one doing the miracles in the first place. When I came to your prayer closet, I never found you. You built a golden calf out of your gifting. 
and you miss the one who gave you the gift. But my friend, if your ministry does not flow out of a place from being with him first, it simply becomes a talent show. And all people might get healed. And people might run to your altar calls. But my friend, here was the most valuable thing out of all of it. You'd been with Jesus first. And here is my fear for many people. You can become so concentrated on the call of God for your life, you miss the one who called you. In the book of Genesis 5, sorry, 15, God comes to Abraham in verse 5 and says, go outside your tent. He said, look up at the stars, Abraham. Try and count them. Even so, so shall the number of your descendants be. In other words, Abraham just had one of the greatest promises ever given to him. This was a moment where he could run out and start to take on the world. But stop right there, Abraham. Because you can't read verse 5 without reading verse 1. Verse 1, do you know what the Lord said to him? Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Shall I link those verses together to you? Abraham, I'm about to make you one of the greatest promises I will ever make to a person on the face of this earth. But that is not your reward, Abraham. I am. In other words, when you accomplish that, and if you see the fruition of that, that is not what your life work has been for. Abraham, if you never have that, you've still got everything because you've still got me. And my friend, you cannot believe for the greatest thing this world has ever seen, but altar calls are not your reward. Miracles are not your reward. Devils cast out are not your reward. Building the greatest ministry this world has ever seen is not your reward. He is. And if you miss that, you will spend a whole lot of time doing things for him and you'll miss him. See, I read you the scripture at the beginning. That the children of Israel are taken into Babylon and 80 years later, a king called Cyrus comes to them. And he rescues them from the oppression of the Babylonians. And he's about to send them back to their homeland. And he makes a remarkable statement to them. Visualize the scene for a second. 80 years you've been a slave. And now you're about to be released. And on your mind are things like this. I'm going to go and build my house again. And build my business. And we'll build all those things. But here's what King Cyrus says to them. Go back. And before you build your business, before you build your house, before you even build the walls of the city to defend you, rebuild the temple that houses the presence of God. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't the logical thing to be to build the walls again so the attack that just happened doesn't happen again? Like, that's the logical thing to do. But here was his point. 
you can build the walls again. But unless the presence of God resides with you, there's nothing to even protect. Would you stand to your feet with me if you will? You see this morning... There's quite easily an imaginative metaphor drawn between the children of Israel and the land of Babylon and people here today. You see, some people for so long have learned to become accustomed to Babylon. We've learned to live without the presence of God. We've learned to live without knowing Him. We've learned to live without intimacy with Jesus. And we've been accustomed to it. It's just what we do now. Oh, we do our dramas real well. And I'm not talking about you guys. We do our presentations real well. But my friend, listen to me. If there is anything the church of God needs today in this earth, it's people who know God. Well, I want to do great things for the Lord. Hold on a second there. Daniel 11, 32. Those who know their God. Stop right there. The part about doing great exploits and works for God cannot come until you know the one you're doing it for. Otherwise, it will become all about you and your ministry It'll become how good my promo video looks and how big my altar calls look and how many likes I get on My friend, when you get to heaven, I really don't think God can ask you how many Instagram followers you had. I never knew you. So many times I came knocking on the door of your heart only to be met with silence because you were so busy doing things for me you never had time for me. Would someone come to the keys for me? Wherever you are right now would you do me a favor and just lift your hands to heaven. Every single sermon you hear should be built on what I've just preached to you. Not because I've preached it to you, but because if Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life, ministry will fail. You know, I shared with people last night, there's a vision in my heart to believe for a one billion soul harvest. But that's not my reward. If the Lord tomorrow comes to me and says, lay it all down, guess what? I've lost nothing. Because if I've got him, I've still got everything. If the Lord comes to you tomorrow and says, lay down your dreams, lay down your desires, quit the ministry. If you've got him, you've lost nothing. But my friend, I believe there has to come a cry in the church. And the cry needs to sound like this. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go back to the place where the presence of God resided in the midst of my life.
Do you remember? When you used to give the Lord two hours and it seemed like one minute went by. Do you remember the times where prayer wasn't a chore to you? But you realized I get to meet with him. But listen to me this morning. If your prayer life has been reduced to a wish list, you have missed the purpose of prayer. My friend, I don't go in my prayer closet when all goes wrong. I go in there every night. How long do you go in there for? I don't know. I go in there until I've had as much of him as I can possibly handle. Well, what does your prayer life look like? Oftentimes, 90% of the time, I'm not saying a thing. I'm just being with him. I sit in his presence. And I say, Lord, this is why I was born. Do I yearn for the day when I will stand in stadiums and preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands? Yes. But that's not the greatest desire of my life. He is. Listen to me this morning. I will put my bank account on it. Some of you know the Bible back to front, left to right, page to page. But hear this from my heart this morning with love. That does not mean you know the one you're reading about. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than everyone in this room put together. But when Jesus was still right in front of them, they couldn't even see him. Why? Their knowledge of the scriptures blinded them to the fact that in fact, he was the living word that was still right in front of them. Oh, preacher, you suddenly get like you're against the Bible. No, no, no. I have built my life on the Word of God, but I cannot afford to elevate the words on those pages above the ones of whom they speak of. If you don't find Jesus while you're reading about Him, my friend, it will not do anything for you. The Bible is only ever information until the Holy Spirit breathes on it and makes it revelation. Until he becomes real to you, it will just be words. But when he's real to you, you read the name of Jesus, and he's not just a historical figure. You think, I've been with him. He's the one who comes in my prayer closet with me. desire should not be to build a ministry if there's anything you're going to know from this conference if there's anything you're going to leave even what I preached last night is not as significant as what I'm telling you right now last night I preached on the importance of preaching the gospel but my friend how can you preach about the one you've not been with I'm 
I'm even speaking to some of you today. That you have been saved longer than I've been alive. Listen, I honor you. I really, really do. You have paved the way for my generation to come. But listen to me. Because you've been in church for 40 years does not mean you know Jesus. If prayer is a stale, boring, dry activity to you, you don't know Jesus. Because when you do, you know those moments that you go to be with Him and it excites your heart. Have you ever had those moments that you're laid in bed at 2 a.m.? and I've knelt there and did I cry out for worldwide revival? No. Did I cry out for souls? No. I got on my knees and I cried. Why? Because he was with me. And the fact that he would be with me tells me something. He wants to be with me. Think about that. fiery preacher but listen I could fire you up this morning so you walk out of here thinking you could blow the whole world up with the gospel but that is not the most important thing for your life this is I want every single person listening to me right now every single person I need you to understand something and this is not to condemn you this is to spiritually provoke you to do something. Do you realize that every single morning when you wake up, Jesus has been waiting those seven hours just for you to give him your attention again. Let me tell you how I know that. I've been married for only two years. But I remember the morning after we got married, all that I wanted when I woke up that morning was for my wife just to look at me. That's all I wanted. I didn't want her to begin to tell me about herself. I didn't want her to go and do some grocery shopping and say, look how much I love you. Look what I did for you. I, I didn't want any of that. The morning when I woke up after I got married, she turned over and all she did was look at me. It filled my heart with such joy I can't even explain it to you and two years on in our marriage when I wake up in the morning just when she looks at me it does that same thing to my heart it brings joy to me but listen I am not concentrated on that as much as I am on giving Jesus the first attention of my life in a morning I love my wife more than anything on the face of this earth, but not more than being with Jesus. Because I can't love my wife properly if I've not been with Him. I can't be a good husband until I've first been with the faithful bridegroom. How do I learn to be a good husband? By leaning 
on how he loves me. I try and love my wife in the same way that Jesus loves me. Is he not the perfect picture of the perfect bridegroom? And my friend, how it grieves the heart of God that every single morning he desires your attention just to be turned to him but you built a golden calf out of social media and you made it a god young people listen to me how many of you the first thing in the morning that you do is turn your phone in and check your notifications and all the while jesus is standing there saying just give me your attention You know, the Bible talks about the principle of first fruits. Listen, that was not just about tithing. The first fruits of your day, if it doesn't go to him, it's gone to someone or something else, and he's left grieved. Listen to me, young people. Social media did not die and bleed on a cross for you. Jesus did. Husbands, your wife did not die and bleed on a cross for you. Jesus did. Ladies, your husband did not die and bleed on a cross for you. Jesus did. In other words, nobody is worth the first fruits of your day except the Son of God. just trying to make me feel bad no I'm trying to spiritually provoke you I'm trying to almost take a spiritual prod and just prod into the side of you say listen there's more there's more firstly this morning I'm about to open these altars in a couple of seconds and this morning it's not complicated it's very simple you can be saved this morning, and that's fine. But it does not mean you know Jesus. And this morning, I'm about to ask you this. If you don't know the Jesus that I've just preached about, you said, I want to. Right now, he's my something, but I want him to be my everything. Then this morning, listen to me. I cannot pray this into you. In fact, an altar call will not do it for you this morning. It won't fix the problem. Altars don't change people. Jesus does. You know, last night when these young people ran to the altars, there is no power in this altar. There's only power in the name of Jesus. But I will call you this morning to the altar as simply an act of faith and a public declaration to Jesus. I want Before I do that, you need to understand that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came and bled on a cross for you. He paid the penalty that you should have paid in order to receive a reward that you could never earn. The Bible says that he was maligned 
and he was blasphemed. He was marred more than any man. They took the Son of God and they nailed him to a cross. In order that this morning you would know the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus. So before I open these altars this morning for you to come and meet him, this morning, how many of you need washing by him? There's sin in your life this morning. And if you died today, you know you would not go to be with Jesus. You may have been coming to church for 20 years, but this morning there's sin in your life. Your wife doesn't know. Your pastor doesn't know. Your friends don't know, but you know that this morning there's sin in your life. And if you died today, you would not go to be with Jesus. Then I'm asking you right now, before I open these altars, if you need to get right with Jesus this morning, do me a favor, I want every eye closed right now for 30 seconds. If I'm speaking to you this morning, there's sin in your life. You need to get right with Jesus. You need the blood to wash you. And you need cleansing. Do me a favor, lift your hand right now so I can see you. Lift your hand quickly. God bless you, man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Quickly, quickly now, quickly. If that's you, lift your hand so I can see you. If you need Jesus to wash you of your sin, if there's sin in your life right now, you need to get right with God. Lift your hand so I can see you. There's about 14 or 15 people right now. God bless you. 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 Listen, I'm about to open these altars right now. But before I do that, I want you to repeat a prayer after me. In fact, every person in this room, I want you to repeat this prayer right now, especially those of you who lifted your hand. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and you believe in your heart that He died and God raised Him from the dead, then the Bible says you shall be saved. Right now, I want you to do me a favor. Repeat this prayer after me, every person. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning because I know there is sin in my life. I know I've done wrong, but I believe today that you are my Savior. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. Jesus, today, Wash me in the blood and cleanse me of my sin. Right now, I receive eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now listen, go ahead. When I open this altar in a couple of seconds, though you lifted your hands, please come also. But here's what I'm asking you this morning. And this is a lot harder for church people to respond to than sinners coming to an altar call. Let me tell you why. Because it requires you dropping your pride in front of a lot of people. And saying, I actually don't know this Jesus you've talked about, but I want to. My prayer life is stale. He's not real to me. I can't remember the last time I felt his presence in my life. But this morning, I want to meet him. I want him to become real to me. In fact, this morning, without the worship team hyping you up, without me even screaming or shouting at you, 
if you say this morning, I need him to be real in my life, would you come right now? And just come and stand at this altar. God bless you. God bless you. Listen to me. Stop trying to impress the person next to you doing this holier than thou thing. If you need to be here this morning, you say, I don't know the Jesus you preached about. He's not real in my life. But I want to know him. Would you just come and stand at the front right now? I really love the fact that the young people are leading the way, church. Can I go a step further this morning? If you can't remember the last time you shared the gospel with somebody, I question how real Jesus is to you. And I make no apologies for saying that. Because when he's real to you, you start to have this holy conviction, I can't keep this to myself. I'm asking you this morning, will you come this morning? If you say, I need to know him. At the end of my life, I want to be able to say, I know in whom I have believed. He was real to me. If that's not the case, you become like the men on the road of Emmaus. That you walked with him, but you didn't even know you were walking with him. Did our hearts not burn with every word that came out of his mouth? I want to invite you one more time, my friend. You know, I was preaching in a church not long ago. And this is how real this becomes to some people. I opened the altar calls. Do you know the first person who came to the altar call and said, I don't even know this Jesus? It was the pastor. And he said, son, I've been preaching the word of God for 40 years. But this morning I realized I didn't even know the one I was preaching about. So listen, person who's been in church for 30 years, I'm talking to you this morning. If you can look me dead in the eye and say, I don't even know the Jesus you preach about, but I want to and I want him to become real. Would you come right now? I'm asking you, come, 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 come. God bless you, sister. Come right now. Every throw at the front right now, you'll, you'll, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? You know, tonight I think we're having, I think we're having a healing service. Is that right? I think tonight, if you're sick in your body, I'm going to pray over you. If there's bondage and addiction in your life, I'm going to pray over you tonight. And I believe there's going to be an explosion of miracles in this place. Why? Because when you preach Jesus, you're preaching the healer. For those who are at the front right now, I believe today will mark your life and you'll never be the same again.
wonderful Holy Spirit. I ask you to begin to touch them right now. Begin to touch them, Lord. If you're at the front, I want you to do me a favor. You may have never done this before, but it's okay. Close your eyes, and I want to be into what the Bible calls yield your heart to the Lord. In other words, here's what you're saying. This heart is in my body, but it's not mine. It's yours, Lord. I give you me this morning. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Become real in my life, Lord. I want to know you. And I want to know in whom I have believed. I don't want my prayer closet to be a stale, dead, dry place. But the Bible says this, and it spiritually provokes me, Pastor. It says, Enoch walked 